Welcome to this next show. Uh, we are here today with Nathan Lawrence. He was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when he was 23 years old. And before that, he had uh, been hospitalized for a few weeks with viral meningitis and it nearly, it nearly killed him. And so this is an excellent story of his perspective on living with uh, type 1 diabetes and and learning how to move into a different perception. Perception, he says, is everything. And I would like to explore that with him today. So Nathan, thank you. Thank you for, for writing in. Thank you for being on the show today. Thank you very much for having me. Ah, uh, so let's just jump in. Okay, so sure. you were you didn't know you had type one diabetes um, no. and you became, you fell ill and then you went to the yeah. hospital. Yeah. So I, I had been feeling, uh, you know, ill for probably a week to maybe two weeks prior to the, the going to the hospital with the meningitis. And uh, it just seemed to progressively get worse. I, I lost interest in food and, and eating and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and then I had started getting the symptoms of meningitis without knowing it. So I got, you know, a really stiff neck and I, you know, I kind of played it off and thought, you know, maybe I just slept on it wrong. And, but it was more stiff than, than you would get from sleeping on, uh, <laughs> sleeping in a twisted up sort right. of way. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, um, I wasn't living at home at the time and I, you know, I called my mom just to tell her and she's like, uh, yeah, maybe just uh, rest it out for a couple of days. And she, then she called me back about 10 minutes after that conversation ended. And it was like, nope, I just read it in my health guide. I'm taking you to the hospital. Um, so she took me down to VGH and they did a spinal tap and among other tests. And that's how they found out that I had meningitis. It was a white blood cell count in my in my spinal fluid. Wow. Did and, you have uh, a rash or anything that went with it or was that? Yeah, I did actually on the back of my head. Oh. And it, I thought I, it was almost, they almost felt like, like bites or spider bites. And so I thought maybe I got bit by something as well. And um, <clears throat> that ended up being the rash from, from the, the spinal and brain fluid infection. And, and then the stiff neck was, part of the symptom. And, and, uh, it's funny cause VGH diagnosed me with meningitis, filled me full of gravel and painkillers and sent me home. Sent you home and, uh, with meningitis? They sent me home with meningitis. But it was, and, uh, but that, that's, that can kill you. Yes. Yeah. I've, yeah, they, I guess they didn't have the capacity to house me or something. And they thought, you know, maybe I'm, I'll be okay if just, pumping me full of that stuff and sending me home with a, a strong prescription for painkillers. And, uh, I woke up, I went home, I probably slept for about four hours and I woke up feeling way worse than I did when I originally went into the hospital. So, uh, then I went back to VG or Richmond general at that point, cause my parents were living in Richmond right? and they kept, they kept me for about two and a half weeks after that. So what was the, okay. So the one hospital sent you home the other hospital yeah. gave you, um, like, took you in. Um, mm -hmm. Did they say why why they took you in rather than, you know, following the lead of the previous hospital? Um, not to my recollection. Um, they, I mean, I, I gather that it was a serious enough illness that I shouldn't have been sent home in the first place. But they didn't, they didn't specifically say why they kept me. They just said, we're keeping you. <laughs> because you had meningitis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And at that point I was fine with that. That was the best place to be. Well, yeah, of course. Right. Like you were yeah. safe and happy and yeah. okay. Well, and so then you two and a half weeks with that, you went home, you, you recovered and then what happened? Yeah. So the recovery process was, was hard. The, the spinal tap, to regenerate the amount of spinal fluid that they take out of you can take up upwards of six months. Um, and that, that being 
with that regenerating, you can't, you can't stand up for more than a couple minutes at a time without getting dizzy, uh, sitting up as well. So you're basically bedridden for, I was bedridden for almost a month once I got home. I didn't know so, that about spinal tap, Nathan. I didn't know. Yeah, they're, they are absolutely brutal. Um, I'm glad I did it because that's how they found out what was, what was going on. But yeah, they're, they're, they're quite the thing to recover from. And so, so I, as I was at your parents' house for oh, yeah, I had to, a while, hey, I had to, I moved back in with them for a year after all that, just so I, till I got myself back on my feet because I wasn't able to work or do anything during that time. So, um, so yeah, I just had to, you know, do my recovery and, and work on that stuff and, and get myself back to a place where I could get back out on my own again. And then so a month goes by, you, you are able to stand for longer intervals. Yeah. You know, and, and then, then I, what happened? Then I started getting some of the symptoms of diabetes. So uh, like unquenchable thirst is, is a big one. So you're just, no matter how much you drink, you just drink, 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 and then you pee it all out immediately. <laughs> And, and then you, and then you get thirsty again. So like the, the most, the most vivid night that I remember, I think I woke up probably 17 times to go to the washroom (laughs) and my, my mom had heard me get up. It was, you know, every 20 minutes or every half hour. And in the, in between those times too, I'm thirsty because I've now gone pee so many times and and I'm running downstairs to get water or juice or whatever I could get. I, I just, I didn't know I was diabetic, so I was drinking whatever was there. And, uh, and so my mom's like, uh, that's, that's not very normal either. You should probably go get that checked out. So sure enough, I, <laughs> went, we for, again. <laughs> yeah, I, went, I went for blood tests and I don't think I had even made it home from the blood test. And my doctor was calling me saying, you have diabetes, go, <laughs> go to Richmond General immediately. They know you're coming. So Wow. It's like, it the fastest blood, blood work results I'd ever seen, first of all. It was like within two hours of, of doing the blood test. And, um, and then yet yeah, the doctor called me. So I, next thing you know, I'm driving to Richmond General and they take me in and I stayed there for four days while they got my blood sugars normalized and came up with a, with a treatment plan and how to teach me how to use my insulin and check my blood sugars and do all that fun stuff as well. Were you, um, so what were the other symptoms other than um, unquenchable thirst? Uh, that and the frequent urination, those, those were the two biggest ones. Those are the only ones I really, um, I really had, but they're also like two of the biggest ones that you can have. So um, they, <clears throat> those were the, yeah, those were, the signals that yeah you need to go get that checked out. I had lost so much weight just due to the meningitis itself that um, it would probably wouldn't have been that noticeable if I had that much more weight loss uh, from the from the diabetes. Right, and then if you were tired, it didn't really it wasn't registering either. Yeah, yeah I'd been tired for you know a month and a half or you know, before that, so yeah, it was. I was probably having more energy than I had in the last month and a half. So to me, those sort of things felt more normal. When you learned about type one diabetes, what did they, Mm -hmm. what did they tell you? They said, okay, so it's immune, your immune system, it basically destroys the cells in the pancreas, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So uh, they, I don't remember them getting as in, in depth about it like that. I mean, it all happened really fast. So, um, and I kind of just took it in stride. So yeah, next thing you know, I'm diabetic. Okay. I'm going to the hospital. You're diabetic. This is how you're going to treat it. And, and I just sort of accepted it at that. Um, I just wanted to feel better. I'd feel felt so bad for, for quite a while that, you know, I was willing to do whatever I had to do just to, to get myself feeling better again. So if that's what I had to do, to make myself feel better and get back on track, then that's what I was going to do. It didn't, it didn't looking back at it, it. I don't think it because of the previous meningitis and all that stuff, I don't think it had as big of an impact on me as it probably would have if it had just been diabetes. 
like 5% or whatever of people have it. Yes. And, uh, and then also for, it's quite rare to develop type one diabetes at, you know, later in life like that. It's, you know, that's usually early onset or juvenile diabetes is what, what they refer to it as. And it's usually something that comes about in your, in your early years of life, as opposed to going full type one at 22 years of age. Yeah, they say like the it says under twenty is usually. Yeah. So I mean, would you would have? So what did they say? Did you have it and not know it, or like what was the combination for you? I wonder. Yeah, that's that's what I've always I've never had a straight answer on that, and it's you know they say, well maybe the diabetes caused the meningitis, but then like on the other hand maybe the meningitis caused the diabetes. So it's. It's the chicken and the egg theory almost. They don't right. know which which one came first, but one of them was there and one was probably directly related to, to the other. And in which order, that's, that's the big question. 23 years old, you're experiencing life, you're living, you're, you know, you're just enjoying your life and your freedom. And yeah. type one is pretty limiting. It can be, yes. It definitely can be. There's a lot of things that you have to watch out for and a lot of things you, you know, you just can't do. But I tried to not pigeonhole myself and, and tell myself that I can't do all these things. I, I grew up playing a lot of basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so even physical activity with type 1 diabetes, it changes because you have to be aware of your blood sugar levels while you're playing. So, you know, I would go from from playing and going to have a sit on the sideline to check my blood sugar and make sure that I'm not running low and I'm not going to pass out on the court in the middle of a game or anything like that. But I mean, as the more you go through it and the more times you experience it, you, you find ways to, to make it work for you. And I, I really did not want to be just handcuffed to, to say I couldn't do certain things or, or, limit myself from the things that I wanted to do just because of it. And, you know, I just tried to find ways to, to make it work for me. (laughs) When you were given the, when they walked you through what diabetes was, how you handle it, how you live with it, did Mm -hmm. they say, did they list limitations that you would have? Mm. You know, I don't, I don't recall a list. I remember them saying to avoid things like uh, drinking, um, which is alcohol turns to sugar in your, in your blood, you know, immediately after drinking it. So that can, that can spike your blood sugars pretty good. And uh, so that was a big one. And they said, that's usually the hardest one for, for people your age is, is the partying and the drinking because at that age, that's what, a lot of people are doing with their free time <laughs> and they're absolutely. And, they're, and so then what would the effect be? So if you, if you drank, then yeah. what is the effect of, of um, the sugar in your bloodstream immediately? Well, the, so when you're, I mean, it's, there's two different things with, with diabetes. So you have your lows and those can be deadly and you have your highs, which also can be deadly, but they're, they're deadly over, a long period of time, whereas a low can be deadly, you know, within, within hours. So, um, like that, if you go into a diabetic coma or a diabetic shock, that's, that's usually due to, to low blood sugar. And that's when you, your body doesn't have enough sugar in its system to run your body. And it starts shutting down, um, you know, shutting down your abilities to do things. And my description of that is when you go into a low, um, it's sort of like being blackout drunk. You, right. if you're in an extreme low, it's you, you know, you lose control of your motor skills. Um, your, your mind doesn't work the same way. You will do things and not even know you're doing them. Um, whereas highs, um, and this is how people end up losing limbs or losing their eyesight, um, damaging their liver, uh, their kidneys and all those kind of things is prolonged high blood sugar over time it can make you lose feeling in all your extremities, pop blood vessels in your eyes and make you lose 
um, you basically get sugar crystals in your eyes and it makes you lose your eyesight. Okay. And so, um, just oh. having that balance is, uh, balance is the best and main thing that you can do for yourself that will, that will give you the best chance of living a, a longer, healthy life. Like it seems like such a heavy thing. If you're 16, if you're 15, if you're 14, you're 19, yeah. you're 23 and you have this to think about, you know, you're thinking about your future. You're thinking about what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? How, how are you going to present yourself to this world and interact with it? And then you also have this in the background that is a 24 seven, you're never going to get away from this. No. And that must never. be, was that an adjustment for you? Uh, yeah, it definitely was. I mean, to, there's no way you could say that it wouldn't, wouldn't be, <laughs> wouldn't be a huge, like, I mean, it, it, it's, it's life changing. It's, yeah. you have to, you have to change every, a whole lot of how you used to do things to, to now, uh, take into account and, and manage, uh, you know, uh, an illness that will never go away. And is basically depending on how you handle it can, can be your, your, your end. You know, if, if you don't, if you, that's why you see people in, in the States that don't have access to, to healthcare and affordable prescriptions, diabetes largely goes untreated in, in the States. And my insulin, even with coverage, I have right now, just based on, I have a $2,000 deductible. So I have to pay $2,000 in prescription costs before they will cover anything of my prescription. So $2,000 a year guaranteed I'm spending on my insulin. Um, if I buy a two or three month supply, it costs me 800 bucks. Yeah. And I, I, I tend to buy it at three months in a time at a time. So I can, so I don't have to worry about it. I have it in my fridge. It's there when I need it and I have it on hand as opposed to when I was younger, because it was expensive. I didn't, I would buy, you know, one month at a time or even two weeks at a time. And I was going to the pharmacy every two weeks or a month and, uh, and getting new insulin, but yeah, it's, it's not cheap. It's <laughs> which is why we're having this conversation today because you do have a different perspective. I, when I did speak to you and we, we met, we were yeah. talking about it and you really seem to have this idea that it doesn't limit you. And there's so many people that it, they feel limited by it. And maybe it's because they're younger, like, you know, mm -hmm. like you talked about, but you really have something to share here. And not only does it change your life physically and there's limitations and, uh, perspective is everything. So some people may yeah. not be, as we're going to discuss in, in a few minutes, your perspective yeah. might not have that ability. So yeah. they have all of that behind them. And then they have the cost of all of this. Mm -hmm. It's like, so it's 2000, you have a $2,000 deductible, but then yeah. how much is it per year? So it's, um, it's probably a, a year. No, I calculated it's probably around $4,000 a year. And this is just for the insulin? Just for insulin, just what I need to live a normal day-to-day -day life. It's, it's, you know, if, if, if I, it, it, it seems crazy that for something that you would need to live normally, just like everybody else, they're going to charge you that much for it. And if you can't afford it, then you just don't have it. Yeah. Like this is not something that, you know, there's a, you hear people talking about needs and wants. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is essential. This is not like it, it's even beyond a need because you have to have it to live. It's uh, I had this conversation with someone that was in charge of deductibles and well, I mean, they're, they're the ones that you talk to when you call in, but you know, I said, you know, how, how do you guys figure that, you know, I have to pay $4,000 a year just to have some medication that keeps me alive. And, you know, I could understand there is people out there that do not take care of themselves by choice and, and they become drains on the, 
you know, for lack of a better term on the medical system and they're in constant medical care and they're using tons of resources and all that kind of stuff. You know, I can understand not to say punishing someone like that, but I mean, to punish someone who, you know, this person's going to have a, a larger deductible or this one's going to have a smaller deductible and uh, what kind of factors play in into that. So I was told that it's based on income, which is fine. Um, if I make enough income to spend $4,000 on, on insulin, okay. But uh, that's, you know, I, that's beside the point. I mean, it's something that I need just to live a normal life. So my, my question to them was, you know, like I've, I've had zero issues with my diabetes since I've had it. Um, I have not been hospitalized for anything diabetes related uh, since then. Uh, my, I have good control over my blood sugars. I go to all my appointments. I follow up with all my specialists, everything that needs to be done. I do. And, um, you know, it's, I just don't understand how it kind of feels like I'm being punished for being diabetic. Um, even though I'm out there doing everything I need to do to make sure that I can, first of all, live a health, healthy and happy life. And second of all, not be a drain on our health system that, you know, it's supposed to take care of us. Right. So, and, and, and here's the thing, you know, for you and in your life, you, you have a full-time job, you, you may mm -hmm. have, you know, the things that you need, but there are single parents out there who have yeah. children mm -hmm. or one child with diabetes and they might not be able to afford you know what yeah and so it's a big issue i didn't realize actually nathan that that this mm -hmm. was an issue and and now that you bring it up um you know that's that's very new to me i, I hadn't heard that before you know insulin should be should be free for the people that need it uh, yes because it's an emergency it's it's it, it's literally essential it's it, it, yeah Right. It's like drinking water every day. You need it. Yes. You, you need it. I can't, if I decide to go for a day without taking my insulin, my quality of life diminishes, you know, I would say 60 to 70% immediately. I think that's an important point that you, that you make here. This isn't, this isn't something that if you miss, it's a gradual decline. No. It's, it is, so what happens? So if you were to miss a day, yeah. what happens to you? Uh, you get, so like I said, with, the, with the, the prolonged high blood sugar, you get all these other issues, but immediately there is still effects. Um, you'll get, you know, you'll feel lazy, lethargic, uh, kind of hazy. Uh, you'll feel pressure in your eyeballs, um, all these kind of things. And those those feelings do not go away until you get your blood sugar under control. And if you do not take your insulin, you will not get your blood sugar under control. So those things will just gradually get worse. And if you went day by day by day without doing that, it would just compound and compound and compound. And to a point where you'd end up, I'm sure hospitalized with, with any other thing because your immune system would basically shut down. You would be, uh, you're because you're, basically traumatizing your, your entire system by doing that. Right. Uh, right. And, you and, would... and how have you, so, you know, you don't want to lose, you, you bring things with you every day. I, Alex was, um, and I were, when we were talking, he was saying, you know, he's got a backpack that he brings with him, um, yeah. everywhere he goes. And, yeah. you know, hopefully you never lose that backpack. Um, mm -hmm. it has everything you need in it. And that's, that's essential for, and so when you began this journey of type one diabetes, you know, eating and all of that, you have to count and calculate things. Yes. Yeah. That's, um, that's even a heavy load in and of itself. <laughs> well, it means you can't sit down and just get into enjoying your meal. You got to see how much, you know, how many carbs it's carb counting is what they call it. And you're doing the amount of carbs that you're eating is, is going to affect how much insulin you take to break down those carbs or sugars in your system. 
and you have to be pretty on point to make sure that you either took or that you don't take too much insulin or that you didn't take too little insulin because if you eat too much for the small amount of insulin that you take then you're going to have your highs and if you take too much insulin for the amount of food and you didn't calculate properly then you're going to have your lows and so so you have to be so how do you ensure and was it trial and error for you in the beginning or were you just i mean it must create a sense of anxiety I mean, come on, you're, you know, you know, nobody wants to feel sick. Nobody wants to feel, you know, out of balance. So no. then that puts an extra anxiety on the situation, you know, right before you start. And then eating is supposed to be enjoyable, but what's your process? Do you go, do you just, you go to a restaurant, you sit down, what do mm-hmm. you do? You go, I want artichoke. Uh, hot artichoke dip or whatever it is with cheese, yeah. all that. Now count that carbs. How do you count that? Yeah, it's it, restaurant eating becomes hard because you don't know everything that's in it unless you ask them for a you know a recipe or for them to tell you. Um, I've done that a couple times and I didn't find it to be all that helpful. Uh, well, trial and error the, for the, the restaurant wasn't helpful or counting. Um, I mean. They, they would oblige, but I mean, it's, it's kind of like pulling teeth. They're like, Oh, why do you want to see that? And, and then you have to go into a whole explanation with them. So, um, I just started uh, by portion size is sort of more or less what I started basing mine off of. And that's actually done. has uh, been pretty helpful for me. Um, if I'm going to eat a lot, I, you know, I, I'll, I'll even overshoot a little bit and I know that I have what I need with me to to combat that if I did overshoot um like I said I I've been very very fortunate with my diabetes there's a lot of people that don't have the the same uh I guess intuitiveness or uh with themselves I can feel my lows and I can feel my highs while they're happening and sometimes just while they're on the cusp um and that's not something that everybody has so if I if I was sleeping and my blood sugar went low I wake up um, some people don't, they'll sleep through it and, and that can be extremely dangerous. Um, so I've, I've sort of been able to just off feeling alone. And like I said, it's, it's not something that everybody is fortunate enough to have. I've, I'm very fortunate in that, in that regard that I've just off feeling, I can sort of gauge how much I need to take or how much I need to eat to uh, balance out the amount of insulin that I, I've taken. Right. Because, you know, and again, this is, a, this is uh, almost a revision of the conversation I had earlier um, mm-hmm. in another interview, but, but I think this is important. So you go to bed at 10 o'clock at night and, yeah. and then you wake up at seven. So mm-hmm. the body's doing whatever it's doing in the, yeah. in the interim of while you're sleeping. Mm-hmm. So you can feel when the sugar goes low. What is the feeling for you? So for those people who have type 1 diabetes and they're they're young men and women and they're yeah. not yet able to wrap their mind around it, what what do you do and and help them begin to identify it themselves? Um, well, one of the biggest things for me is on a low, um, I will start to sweat a little bit. And, and it's not like a, a sweat from playing sports. It'll be, you know, it'll start on the forehead and then it'll be on my arms. And any kind of sweat on my forehead or arms, if I'm not doing anything physical, I know exactly what's going on. I will check my blood sugar. And usually when, it's, when I check it, when it's catch it in that early stage, uh, my my blood glucose level would be like a two, which is is low. Um, so for blood glucose levels, they say they want you between four and seven um, for for healthy numbers. So um, that's usually the sweet spot. That's where you'd like to be. Five is you know five and a half is considered perfect. Um, and so two two and lower, those are when you're starting to get into you know danger territory. Um, but I can almost set my clock to it. If I, if I feel that 
that sweat on my forehead or my arms and I'm not playing sports, it's, I'm usually at a two or right around there. And wow. I know. And how long does it take you to, to bring yourself back into balance? Um, I'll usually have a, like at that point, I'd have like a juice box or, and a granola bar or something like that. And it'll take me, you know, five minutes or so to, to get back to, you know, it'll, it'll just slowly get better over those five minutes, but um, you know, five to 10 minutes and you're, you're sort of back to normal and then you'll, you know, check your blood sugar again, maybe have, you know, a little bit of protein as a snack, like some cheese or, um, you know, something like that. And then just to, cause the proteins take longer to break down, whereas the sugars and carbs will spike you and then you can crash again and be right back in the same situation. Um, so you want to spike with juice and, you know, something like a granola bar and then sort of level out with, with something a little more, uh, with a little more substance to it. And, and then it sort of just, then it'll sort of normalize out again. And then you're, you're, you'll be okay until the next time you're supposed to eat. So would you, you know, you're sleeping, you wake up in the middle of the night, you know, yeah. uh, do you just have something beside you on your nightstand or is it like you got to get up, you get going, you, you go downstairs or wherever your kitchen is and rummage around? Yeah, I, I usually have stuff in my room uh, just beside my bed just in case um, but if not then I, I just go downstairs to the kitchen um, and I used to have when I was a little bit younger I used to be fine I'd wake up and and you know ha go to the kitchen have my snack and go right back to bed and fall asleep immediately but now as I'm starting to get um, older and, we're and older, Nathan, we yeah. don't go back to sleep very well. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> I had it just the other night and it was, I was dead tired and I was like, I need to go to sleep because I'm working tomorrow morning. And, you know, I woke up at one thirty and had to have some, some juice and a snack and I didn't fall back asleep till three o'clock. So it goes from 10 minutes to an hour and a half <laughs> before now, falling back asleep. Does this happen often to you? Uh, no, not very often. Um, it did more when I was younger and I was learning how to, how to calculate and how to do all that stuff. Um, now I've sort of been in a routine. Routine is key as well for diabetics. Routine um, is key. Yeah. Yes. You need to eat around the same times every day. Um, make sure you take your shots around the same time every day. Too much variance can really throw it off. Um, so travel, travel can be, a little, a little difficult, but I mean, I, I went to Japan a couple years ago and that was my first real, um, out of North America trip. And so it's a 17 hour time difference. I believe they're 17 hours ahead yeah. mm -hmm. and, and that was an adjustment. But even with that, I still, you know, I still had very, very few issues, but it can, it can throw you off for a couple of days until you sort of get in your routine on that side of the world. Well, and you're taking things with you. So when you have your backpack, you've got all your, you have oh, a yeah. box and granola bar and, and all of that. Now let's talk about, so that's a low. Mm -hmm. Now, what about the high? Uh, the high you have to sort of, <clears throat> you have to see how high you are first of all. And, and then you have to, counteract that with insulin so um and then a little bit of physical activity sometimes but also physical activity can also work against you if your blood sugar is high enough so what is um, a so, high blood sugar then uh well anything over anything over seven is considered high but i would say you know if you're getting 10 and above you're you're high and you need to you need to bring that back down so i mean i've when i was learning to deal with it all I had, uh, it was one of my, I don't know, it was probably a few months into, um, calculations were off and I was using a different kind of insulin than I'm using now as well. That was more of a, it was a mix of a long acting and a short acting. So the short acting kicks in in about 15 to 20 minutes. And then the long acting kicks in about two hours later. And it's supposed to take you from, from meal to meal. And, um, I had miscalculated, I guess, and my blood sugar was through the roof and I could feel it. So I tested myself and it was, my blood sugar was so high that my meter didn't even give me a number. It just said high. 
No. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and then that's, I'm like, oh. That's a bad calculation, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And no one had told me about that particular situation when I was going through all of this. So I see hi, and I'm like, oh, okay. I Well, maybe I should go do some physical activity because that breaks down sugars because your body's using it to, to give yourself energy to, to do whatever you're doing. And I, so I started going, I went for a jog and I was doing um, some sprints outside the house and stuff. And I didn't know this, but if your blood sugar is high, it can actually, physical activity can actually release more sugar into your blood system, into your bloodstream and oh, no. make your blood sugar go, go higher. Oh no. <laughs> so, and so then what happened? <laughs> so I, then I had to, I had, I just had to take more insulin that the insulin oh. that I was on was not a kind that was, uh, you were supposed to, you, know, you they tell you different things about it, but the one that I was on was, you know, you do your one injection before your meal and that should be enough. You're not supposed to top up. You're not supposed to take any extra shots or anything like that. So that's why I did the physical activity as opposed to taking an extra shot. But at that point I had no choice after that, after my blood sugar was that high. And what I had been doing was counterproductive to, to what I was trying to achieve. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I, then I had to take an extra shot and it did come down, but it took several hours. Wow. It took, you know, it was about three hours of me trying to figure that out. And that was, you know, I was fairly new to it at that point too. So it was a learning experience. And the other thing too is there's a lot of emphasis on numbers and balances and all of this stuff, but nobody's perfect. And you have to do what works for you. So, right, right. you know, if you need to, if sometimes like the, I switched to a new, newer style of insulin now, which gives me a whole lot more freedom um, to, to eat things and, and to go and do my own schedules and, and do those kind of things. It gives me way more freedom for those kind of things. Um, but yeah, you just kind of have to find your sweet spot and find what works for you. There's no, every diabetic responds differently to treatment. So there's no clear cut path to this is going to work for absolutely everybody. Right. That, and that's the difficult, that's the difficult thing. So when you yeah. wrote in, when you wrote in, you said, if you <laughs> yeah. sat there feeling sorry for yourself, then your battle was already lost. Exactly. Because then I'm, I'm letting it beat me before I even have a chance to get started with it. I, right. you know, I, I had just survived meningitis they're telling me I have diabetes and the only thing that I have to do to make sure that, that I live a, a healthy life, a long, healthy life for as long as possible is to eat healthy and exercise. I mean, that's, there's way worse things in the world I could have got. Wow. And that's, and that was my outlook from the very start. And I mean, even, even in the hospital, I remember too, um, some of the doctors just being like, Oh, you have a very good outlook on this. And I think you'll probably be okay. And if you, if you continue that, that outlook and that approach, then you're going to have, you know, you'll, you'll have very few problems adjusting. How did you maintain that perception and outlook when there's a lot of stigma around type one diabetes and diabetes in general? Well, I knew very little about it before I was diabetic. And so I never really paid attention to the stigma. <clears throat> I'd always heard, you know, people make diabetic jokes like, Oh, if I eat this chocolate bar, I'm going to get it. You know, I'm going to become a type one diabetic. So or I'm going to become diabetic. Like it's, it, to me, it was more people's ignorance or lack of understanding than an actual stigma. And, and then my other approach to that too is, I'm the one that has to live with it, not anybody else. So I could really care less about what anybody thinks about it. <laughs> like, right. And, but, but then, but then fast forward that to when you're in a restaurant and you need to, you know, check your blood sugar. Some people are not comfortable. They feel exposed. They feel different when they're, you know, making <clears throat> that assessment. Yeah, that's fair. Um, that everybody's got, um, you know, their, their levels of comfort. I, I don't really, I've never felt like I've ever had anything to hide. Um, I am 
I will do, I will check my blood sugar anywhere in front of anybody. I would take my shot anywhere in front of anybody. Um, it's just, I have to do what I have to do. If they have a problem with it, that's, that's their problem. Not, right. Because you're basically much. saying I'm, uh, your perception is I'm not going to be defined. Exactly. And so then you are going to continue to do what you've always done in the yeah. same group of people doing the same thing, not stopping, going for dinner, yeah. going to parties and those kinds of things. Now you'll take your precautions, but what you're essentially mm -hmm. saying is if what I'm essentially, I, I'm, I am Nathan Lawrence. I am not Nathan Lawrence, the diabetic, right? The, the, the diabetes comes, comes with me. Yes, it's there, but that doesn't define me in any shape or form. It's something that I live with and it's something that I deal with, but I am still me and I can do all the things I've ever wanted to do. And I will do all the things I've ever wanted to do. And wow. yeah, that's not going to, that's not going to stop me. I am Nathan Lawrence. <laughs> I love that. That's really important. I think that's really important because I've talked to people who are still struggling with that. They're, they, mm -hmm. It does feel confining. It feels like it is a huge limitation. And I use the word heavy and weighty and all those because that uh, that is people's stories. Yeah. So in encourage someone, encourage someone who's listening um, and say, okay, how can they begin to reshape and to gain perspective if they find themselves in the situation where they're feeling very defined and limited? What are you going to say to them? That's a good one. I know, um, right? <laughs> for, you, can't for me, a, it, you can't do this nathan without a call to action come on <laughs> no absolutely absolutely i, I mean for me i, I said it, i've i've been very very fortunate and very blessed to this stuff comes natural to me uh i've never i've never felt ashamed about you know things that i've had going on in my life i i own them and and i just kind of i continued doing what I need to do and, and what I want to do. It's always just been the way I've carried myself through life. Um, I would say one of the biggest things, if, if you're comfortable in the way that you handle your diabetes, then you should not worry about the way anybody else perceives you in your handling of diabetes. It's not theirs to live with. It's yours to live with. And, and however you have to live with it is how you live with it. It's not, it's not, shouldn't be defined by someone who doesn't understand it or doesn't have it and doesn't understand what it's like to live with it. Hmm. It's, you know, that's, it doesn't that's affect sort of your just, worthiness. It doesn't affect, you know, no. any of that. Nothing. It's, you know, what are you going to put it on your resume when you're going for a job that you're a diabetic? No, you go, you, you let the people that you work with know that you are diabetic. So if there was ever a situation there, they're aware and, and can, and can help you if, if you need the help, but you don't say on your resume, you know, things about myself, diabetic, and it limits me. No, because you, the only thing that limits you is, is the limitations you put on yourself. If you say that you can't do something, then you probably won't do it. But if you think that, yes, I can do this, then, you know, the, the possibilities are endless and, and failing one time, or, or making you or thinking you failed one time doesn't mean you're a failure. It just means you didn't succeed that time and you can keep trying. And as long as you keep trying and keep putting yourself out there, the things that you need to happen will happen. Wow. I like that. I like that. That's, and, <laughs> and, and, and that can, that's sort of the, the encouragement that someone would say to somebody, but it's so when it comes from you who, shares uh, there's a commonality there uh that carries a lot more weight to it than someone like myself saying it who 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 doesn't have that as uh, a life experience yeah and i mean just just the fact that there's people out there that are willing to learn about it and understand it i mean that should tell you right there that you know it's a small percentage of the world that's gonna judge you for being diabetic 
Well, and I think that if people are judging people for whatever the reason, it doesn't matter, di- yeah. you know, diabetes or, or whatever, um, you know, you might want to reevaluate who you have in your life. That, that is 100% true. That is 100% true. If you have those kind of negative things in your life, then you will carry them forward. That is very, very true. I, I grew up in, in East Vancouver um, in one of the, you know, rougher neighborhoods in, in the city, um, went to one of the, it was labeled as the worst or roughest school in Vancouver while I was going there. Um, you know, I had, there were tons of negative stuff in my life and yeah, I carried some of that with me out of high school as well. And it took me a whole long time to figure out how to separate myself from it and distance myself from it. I mean, that's, part of how I've come to the views and, and way I carry myself now is just that I realized that at a young age, if you carry negative things with you, they'll always be with you and you'll carry that negative point of view through many different facets of your life. So then let's, let's encourage people right now. What is one step? So you say you came out of high school, you had negative experiences and you began to distance yourself from that. Can you give the listeners a tip on the first step in making that happen? What did you do? If you can remember. Um, I think the biggest thing that, that changed that for me was just realizing that you get out of life, whatever, whatever you want out of it. If you, if you're content with staying in, in the same situation that you've always been in, then things won't change. If you look at the things you want out of life, I still don't know what I want out of life. I'm 35. I don't think, you know, I've never, never had a clear view of a dream job or, you know, a dream scenario for myself. I've sort of just gone with the flow of life and, and learn the things that I learned along the way and learn how to implement them into my life so I can, you know, so I can be happy. Um, but just being able to, to recognize those negativities and, and, and to get them to learn how to move on from them is, is something I think a lot of people struggle with. Um, right. And, and, and so not, you say that acknowledging them or, or bringing them into a, like verbalizing them was mm. the beginning for you. Yes. I, there would be, you know, the people that I was hanging out with, the things that was happening around me, um, wasn't for me. It's what I grew up with. So it felt somewhat normal. Um, but it wasn't what I wanted my life to be. And once I realized that, then everything else sort of just started to fall into place. So at an early age, you did not, you moved (laughs) away from things that would define you, which is why, you know, our, I always believe that, that the past sets us up for, you know, the future and, and how we perceive things. And so this naturally flows into yeah. what you're saying, you know, perception is everything. And so mm-hmm. if you create, if you believe what you just said, then yeah. there's, there's no reason why you would allow something like a type one diabetes, a very rare thing to yeah set you back, hold you down, stop you from living your best life or becoming into the, you know, magnificent human that you are today. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. But I, but you know, I, it's a shame that we can't do a video, but I think yeah. when we do that, Nathan, people yeah. who see you, because we got to talk about your, we got to talk about other stuff too. This is exciting. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> when people get to view you, they will see what I saw. When I met you, I was like, wow, that guy is a rock star. And I, you know, I came home and I said to Dave, oh my gosh, this guy is really superb and there's something and it's not about anything Nathan it's just about what you just said it it follows you and so the point of this conversation is all about perspective it's Mm -hmm. all about you making a choice that says you know what this sucks I I didn't ask for this 
Yeah. Uh, you know, and I'm asking the question, why? Why me? Why me? But then if you move to a different perspective, it's, well, why not me? And, yeah. and why not me? Okay. So if it's why not me, then what can I do to help people who maybe aren't where I'm at and want to be where I'm at? So how can I move people and encourage them to move, you know, towards a position of, okay, why not me? That's a platform. I can share yeah. my story. And, and this is the power of this show. This is why I like doing what I'm doing. Because, Nathan, when you tell your story, it yeah. isn't one-dimensional. You're not just sharing, oh, okay, so I have, I have type 1 diabetes. All of a sudden, you begin to share the context of why you have perspective. And all mm -hmm. of a sudden, you're now sharing about, okay, so I went to a really, you know, one of the most challenging schools in Vancouver and yeah. I lived to tell about it and I yeah. I had negativity and I know what that feels like and I just needed to distance myself I didn't I needed to separate myself here's how I did it here's why I did it that's beautiful you've made something from discomfort and you've made something from the feeling of neg negativity and mm -hmm. that translates into every aspect of your life, including something as life-changing as, as, as this health experience. And I, I would say that you probably wouldn't define it as a illness, would you? No. I mean, when you, when you think about it, it, it is one. Um, it is, but you wouldn't it, define it, it that way, not, not after I've heard you. <laughs> No, no, I wouldn't. And I don't, I don't like to think of myself as, as ill or carrying illness. I know what I have and I know it's going to be there forever. Um, but yeah, I don't, you know, I don't yeah, carry myself. Not, with... like it's not an illness. It's not something that, I mean, it has the potential to alter your state and alter your life, yeah. but yeah. it isn't something, you know, like you said, if I just have to eat healthy and exercise, <laughs> Yeah. Then, then I'm doing well. Yeah. That's, you know, if that's, that's the, if that's the, the treatment for it and that's what I came up with, you know, that's, yeah. that's pretty doable. How do you approach, you know, Valentine's day, any kind of holiday that's got all the sugar caked into it um, <laughs> and alcohol too. Can we talk about that briefly? Yeah, sure. Well, I, I don't drink. Um, I, chose to stop drinking, um, even just before my diabetes and all that stuff. Um, my, my father passed away, um, at the same age I am now, he was 35 years old. Uh, he had kidney, kidney failure and, uh, he, he liked to party. He liked to drink. Um, I think that was one of the things. And even after his diagnosis with the kidney failure, I, I believe from what I know of the story, because I was very young, um, was that he, he still found it hard to not drink. Uh, with all that going on, uh, his dad was much of the same, uh, passed away at, I believe 50 years old, was a heavy drinker. Um, and I sort of wanted to, to end that trend. Uh, so I also don't like drinking. I don't, you know, I don't care for the taste of it and I don't like being inebriated to the point where I feel like I don't, I can't control myself. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. so all those things played factors into that and that that probably made some of my transition a lot easier too, because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't out all night drinking and, and partying at that, that age. I was out all night for sure, but I wasn't drinking and, and doing all that stuff. Right. And so um, you were able to, to go and be with your friends and celebrate and have a great time. What would you do? Yeah. So if, if they were all drinking, what were you doing? What were you drinking? Uh, well, I would just have a, uh, water or you know i'd carry a juice with me and you know i you know you're human and you only live once so you know don't cut yourself off from the entire world but moderation is key in everything um for for everybody and uh you know i'm i'm not i'm not a saint i do eat sugar sometimes when i should come on nathan you're you are a saint close to it at least yeah i try i try to and, uh, you know, I, you know, I do, I do eat some stuff on, on special occasions. I'll have, you know, a small piece of cake or something like that. And also I, I'm the only diabetic in my entire family. So, 
when I go to a family party, um, you know, people are aware of it, but there's still tons of, you know, eating and cakes and everyone else is drinking and doing all that stuff. Um, so, you know, I just limitations, I'll, I'll have a small piece. I'll have a couple bites and, and that's all I really need to, to get through it. Um, I have a question about that. So sure. I thought that type one was mm-hmm. a genetic thing. Yes. Um, one in your family has it. I have one, well, not in my family here. I have one cousin on my dad's side of the family who has it, and that's it. That is my only connection to, to diabetes. Wow. How Other amazing. than myself. Wow. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times it's like a, a grandparent or, you know, uh, you know, something like that yeah. where there's a very clear line where people can trace it. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, exactly. Well, so to wrap this up, what are you, what do you, what would you say? What would you say? Someone's just diagnosed or they're in their twenties and they're feeling sad. They are feeling it and they, Mm -hmm. they maybe do not have the perspective you have. How can you lift them up and how can you change the arc of their story? Well, their story is always going to be their story. It's how they carry themselves through it. Um, so I would say, wow. you know, if you, if you want, if you want good things to come out of life, then, then you have to, you have to go and get them. Good things don't generally just happen for no reason. You have to, you know, put the good energy out and, and usually like that good energy will get returned to you in some shape or form. You may have to do it for years, before it comes and you know, and you just have to stick with it. But if you, if you just own what you have and you know that it's yours to deal with and it's not anybody else's and all you have to do is find your sweet spot. Once you find your sweet spot, you will think things will work out the way you need it to work out without, you know, it's, and it's, I just see you're grinning. (laughs) I I feel inspired by you and I'm just sitting here smiling. I'm just like, (laughs) what a great encouragement. Like, I I don't know if maybe it sounds too simple that just put out positive energy, but I mean, that's out of all the things I've ever tried in my life. um, Carrying myself in a positive manner has done more good for me than anything else I've ever tried. So would you say that it begins with the mind. And when the mind says, this is limiting or this sucks, or I'm, I'm this, I'm that, you would start by changing that, that narrative in your mind. Absolutely. Uh, saying you can't is the worst possible thing you could ever say to yourself. Or I won't, or I'll never be able to. Yeah, because as soon as you say that, you've, you've just done that for yourself. You've just limited yourself. Yeah. And if, you know, you can't be scared to fail, failing doesn't mean you're a failure. If it means you didn't succeed that time and you just keep trying. And the more times you try, the more likely you are to figure out how to get it done. Well, and, and failing also leads us to a new perspective. It's mm-hmm. when we keep going at the same perspective um, and yes. keep failing and it's, it, it's asking us, okay, try another vantage point. Can you move just a little bit? and see yeah. it from just a different perspective. Maybe that perspective is changing the mindset around um, if you're partying and you're saying, okay, well, I'm here, everyone's drinking, I'm missing out. A perspective yeah. change could be, you know what I get to do? I yeah. get to have fun, to be the life of the party, and you know what? I get to help people get them home. I get to... Um, remember all the really crazy things that just happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And remind them all that. the next day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but there's... I would lean more towards uh, service. You know, okay, so yeah. I'm, the, I'm the voice of reason. You know, I can, I can contribute in different ways that um, it's not the, it's not a downside. No, it's not. No, there's positives in everything. You just have to find them. Oh, so good. This is so been. This has been so good. 
<laughs> I am really inspired by you. And yes, there is positives in everything. And, and it is our, one of the purposes for us all being here on this incredible planet is to begin to look for why and, yeah. and, and how, um, when life gives us something, how we can celebrate it in whatever form. There's always yeah. joy. There's always joy. Even in the yeah. middle of, of loss, even in the middle of messiness, there is joy. And, yep. and you're calling us to uh, see it and feel it and move towards it. I really appreciate that, Nathan. And thank <laughs> you so much for sharing your story. When you do that, you give people permission to share theirs. And I want to thank you for that. And perhaps you can come back on. Um, and maybe we can have you um, on as a as a as an, an, a guest who can speak to some people who are struggling with type one or just struggling with their youth in general. It sounds like you have some wisdom. I, I would love to do that. I was really looking forward to coming on here and, and talking about it. So thank you for having me as well. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. <laughs>